Are the Baltimore Orioles the best team in the American League? A successful weekend in Tampa may have proven that, but there's one main ingredient that's imperative if they want to be considered World Series contenders. The Open Championship had very little to no drama as Brian Harmon went running away to win his first ever major tournament. Running backs unite as some of the game's top stars connect on a Zoom call to discuss the state of the position and how they get paid in the NFL. Is a change forthcoming? And Lionel Messi debuts for Inter-Miami on Friday night and delivered a dramatic moment for the MLS. Did it resonate throughout the rest of the sports landscape? The final week of July is here, and so is the latest action-packed podcast. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J-Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J-Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael, people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Here to deliver the first of three, you heard right, three podcasts this week as your favorite little host is in his element, sharing all that's taking place in the sports world over the past few days and beyond as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and yes, we do have a few things to chew on here, as well as a guest that's coming up this week, I'll share that later on, as we have, like I mentioned, three podcasts, usually it's two, Monday and Thursday, but I'll squeeze another one in there with a special guest, so stay tuned for that as we move this podcast along, and we'll start off with the baseball We talked about this on Thursday, whether or not the Baltimore Orioles were ready to take that next step, considering that they took that back end of the three-game series against the Dodgers while the Rays were having trouble in Texas against the Rangers. And even with them having to travel down to the Panhandle in St. Pete and knowing that the Orioles have played well, they had that eight-game winning streak before it was snapped in the early part of that series against the Dodgers last week. But we knew that this was going to be a team to be reckoned with, not only just in the division, but maybe even throughout the American League and baseball, I might add. And as we take a look at what happened over the weekend, winning three out of four in Tampa, especially the back two after splitting the first two on Thursday and Friday. And it just goes to show you that this team, not only do they mean business, but they could possibly be a World Series contender. 
And I'll get to one of the reasons why they will be that, but then they would also be exponentially better if they added one more element and it's going to be crucial for them to be part of that discussion to go along with the likes of, all right, we'll say Tampa because of what they've done throughout the course of this regular season. You can't discount the Texas Rangers, even though this will be a team that hasn't been in the postseason for quite some time and do not have a track record for a team that has stability and you, that you would think that could go to a World Series. But we're talking about the Atlanta Braves of the world, as well as the Dodgers. We can't forget the Houston Astros. Are the Baltimore Orioles now in that echelon of the major leagues where we could maybe even flirt with the idea of them being a top team in the sport? Well, based on what we saw this weekend, you have to take them seriously because we could go through their lineup and talk about how they have young studs throughout. And we've talked about this before from the standpoint of a guy like Adley Rutschman, who is pretty much the guy that has turned the fortunes of this franchise, so to speak. He carries a big stick, but not much in the sense of bravado or even swagger for that matter. But he's a guy that is part of this transformation from this team that from the beginning of last year, think about this, they were about six or seven games under 500 as they were approaching the All-Star break. And from that point on, they took off to the tune of them being part of the wildcard mix into the final week of the regular season last year. And obviously what they've done so far this year, especially over the course of the last couple of months to where now... They are in first place all by themselves, a two-game lead with games in hand on the Tampa Bay Rays, and you would think that this team is going to go pedal to the metal to see whether or not, over the course of the next eight days, with the trade deadline being a week from tomorrow, how they could put themselves in contention for a World Series. And who would have thought that about this time last year to think that if you would fast forward a year later, if I said to one of my former podcast guests and pretty good friend Jai from Baltimore, him being a big Orioles fan, if I would have told him and everybody else down there in the Inner Harbor that your team would not only be in first place in the AL East, but possibly be a threat to an American League pennant, I'm sure they would have said, Jay Reels, what are you smoking? But here we are. And for this team, as we mentioned, Headlined by Adley Rutschman, when you bring in guys like Gunnar Henderson and guys that are already part of the team, whether you're Austin Hayes, Anthony Santander, Colton Kowser, a guy that they just recently brought up and looks to make an impact, although he hasn't really done too much since he's been brought up here as a member of the Orioles. But still, when you have that young talent that almost, or two, I don't want to say stupid, but don't have the experience and are just playing the sport that they love and they grew up playing to now that they're in the big leagues, And here they are in first place, overtaking the Rays who got off to that tremendous start. And I understand baseball has its ebbs and flows. And nobody expected the Rays, even with their torrid start, to think that they would not only be threatened, but nobody thought it was going to be wire to wire, coast to coast, from start to finish, that the Rays were just going to put their feet up and capture the AL East flag. We knew that there was going to be a moment or two that maybe... The Yankees or even Toronto would threaten the Rays as far as the top spot in the division. But that is not the case here on July 24th. It is the Orioles. And who would have ever thought that? And now to get to the even bigger picture when it comes to this team, because you have to wonder what they're going to do here over the course of the next eight days. You don't think they're going to bolster their starting 
lineup as far as maybe bringing in another bat or veteran bat for that matter. We know that Cedric Mullins has been hurt this year and a guy that has been a part of this organization for quite some time. And remember, they did bring in Aaron Hicks, who's made a contribution. But you wonder if they're going to add another bat or at least another utility player that has some experience to see if they could bring this young core and this young group into the postseason and maybe do some damage there come October. But really, the two things that this team needs are a top-flight starting pitcher and maybe even another one, a three- or four-starter for that matter. And I understand that's probably going to be too rich for their blood because you know they're not going to part with any of their stud players whether they're currently on the team or their former number one draft pick, Jackson Holiday. Matt Holiday's son, and think about this, they have the aforementioned players that have been brought up through their system, and they have another guy in waiting who is a former number one overall. So this team is not going anywhere, you would think, as long as they get some big-time starting pitching. And if they're going to win in October, they're going to need to do that. And yes, we could talk about how they've been successful up until this point. We could talk about how they've been able to stem the tide as far as not having to deal with or try to procure a guy of big-time stature who could take this team to the promised land, or at least deep into October for that matter. But when you look at their starting rotation as it's constituted now, the Kyle Gibsons, the Tyler Wells, the Dean Kramers of the world may not cut it when you get into a division series, a championship series, or dare I even say a World Series. They're going to need to bring in that guy that's going to be that force that's going to be that horse to stop the bleeding, whether it's those small losing streaks or even a long losing streak to where you have a guy that you know you could fully entrust to be able to carry that day's start six, seven innings to bring a victory and stop whatever losing streaks that they might go through. As I mentioned, those ebbs and flows. And I'm sure if you're the GM of the Orioles, You're thinking long and hard as to who is that guy out there that I could bring here in order for us to get to that next level. I don't think it's going to be a Marcus Stroman type, although he's had a very good year. I would think they'd have to go big game hunting. And I understand there's not a lot of big time pitchers out there unless they're willing to call the Mets to see if they could pry either Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer. I don't know why they'd want Scherzer right now because he was just awful against the Red Sox and has been very inconsistent this year. But maybe Verlander you want to give a shot because he does have $43 million next year. But if the Mets could take on a bulk of that money, and yes, they would have to give up a big-time prospect in return. Maybe not big-time, that's a little strong. You know it's not going to be a guy like Jackson Holiday, that's for sure. But they would have to then send the Mets a couple of low-level but top prospects in their organization. And if you're the Orioles, you'd have to do it. Because I would look at Verlander being more trustworthy for him And him knowing the American League the way he does, then Scherzer, who has been racked around the ballpark left and right in some of his starts just recently up in Fenway, as we saw there on Saturday night. So that's the difference between making it to a World Series or maybe just being a playoff team that you kind of throw the dice and see where it rolls and hope that you could get deep into the postseason and just hope to pray that You could maybe be a year early as far as your delivery when it comes to this organization because I'm sure a lot of people thought that the Orioles would have been in contention for a wild card and maybe take that next leap in 2024, 25 and beyond. But they've arrived. 
they're here. And you would only hope that the front office is not looking at this year as, oh, we're one step early, so maybe we shouldn't push all our chips to the middle of the table. Uh-uh, you got to strike when the iron is hot. That's how I look at it. And if I'm the Orioles, you have to go full speed ahead to think that whether you're early, whether you've arrived on time, or whether your window is closing, which we understand in this case it's not, but you got to go for it. And I would think that the fan base is ecstatic right now. They haven't had this feeling in quite some time. I understand you could go back to the buck years or the early 20-teens, but even then, a lot of people didn't think that they were going to be a World Series contender, where, one more time, if you get that stud pitcher, and maybe even if you get another guy along the way, a good number three, maybe even four starter, because you don't know if Jonathan Means, their big-time pitcher who went down with Tommy John, remember he threw a no-hitter a couple of years back in Seattle, but you don't know what his health status is going to be, as far as these last couple of months of the season. So you have to bring in one guy at least, but I would think two. Because if you have to go on the road in a game three and you're going to pitch Kyle Gibson, now we understand he's a serviceable and veteran starting pitcher, but he's not a guy that's going to scare the lights out of another team's offense. And even a guy like Dean Kramer, who has pitched very well this year, but still, are you going to entrust in him where the series is tied at one to try to get that 2-1 series advantage? Or even in the game four, when you're down to one and you have to throw him in there or have to bring back a guy on three days rest, whether that is Kyle Gibson in game one or even Tyler Wells for that matter, because if the postseason started tomorrow, Oriole fans, who's your game one starter? Those guys that I mentioned, even you know, Kyle Bradish, I didn't mention him, as confident as you are on this team, none of those guys that you're going to go into battle with are going to be locks as far as going deep in the games or giving you at least five solid innings to keep your team in the game because when you get to October, as we all know, it is a whole different beast than pitching in July, August, or even deep into the season where you have a division crown on the line. So this Oriole team, I'm fascinated to see where they go here over the next eight days. They have been an excellent story throughout the course of these last couple of months and now that they've overtaken the Rays, to see whether or not that they're going to push the button on a couple of trades here to fortify their rotation first and foremost. And I think a veteran bat would be good on top of that because after that, we know their bullpen is rock solid and their team is just playing well above anybody ever imagined and expected. I hope the success continues. I would love to see them go deep into October and it's still way too early to tell as far as that goes. But as of this moment... Having that three out of four in Tampa certainly is going to go a long way. And they go to Philadelphia to start off this week. So let's see if they can continue their good fortune as they move closer to the trade deadline and see what they're going to do here, as I mentioned, over the next week plus. And as I take a look at the rest of the Major League Baseball landscape, give it up for the Reds as they bounce back nicely. Remember, they had that long losing streak coming out and into the All-Star break to where they... Looked like they were about to maybe wither a little bit. And who knows if they were going to even be heard from. Despite the fact that the Brewers aren't running away with the NL Central. But for the Reds to get the back two games against the Giants last week. And then sweep the Diamondbacks who have certainly sprung a ton of leaks here. For them to now win five in a row and keep themselves within a half game back in the NL Central of the Milwaukee Brewers. That's an excellent job showing a little bit of resilience here. And as we talked about. A week or so ago, we wonder whether or not that the Reds are going to make a push to see what they could do because 
unlike the Orioles, as maybe more people, yours truly included, would think that the Orioles can have a special year, could the same be said for the Cincinnati Reds? I can't see that, but you know what? You're starting the clock now. And if your team is in the running, if your team is in contention for a division that you could actually host a wild card round, then you have to go for it. So for them to play the way they have here and not flinch, considering that this young team, we didn't know what to make of them, even when they brought up Ellie De La Cruz and all the excitement and the flash that he brings to this team and the personality, I might add, and that's another team that needs some pitching as well. But for the Reds, great job for them to bounce back the way they did. And funny enough, they're going to go to Milwaukee to start off their week to see whether or not that they could overtake the Brewers. And remember, the Brewers swept them coming out of the All-Star break in Cincinnati. So this long stretch here in this month where they've played the Brewers, I believe it's going to be 10 times. And I have to take a look to see if this is going to be a three-game series or a four-game series. But this is very important to think whether or not that they're going to hang here in this division and they can't have this five-game winning streak and then go to Milwaukee to, let's say, lose two out of three or get swept again or three out of four, depending on how long the series is, So as I take a look at that. So if you're the Reds, you're certainly in good position to see whether or not you could overtake the division. Granted, we're still only in late July. We're not in September just yet. So we will definitely take a peek as to whether or not the Reds are going to mean business as they go play the Brewers here for a, let's see what it is. It's a three-game series, but boy, talk about a rough road trip. After this, they have a day off on Thursday to go to L.A. to play the Dodgers over the weekend, and then they go to Wrigley Field for four games next week. Now, of course, the Cubs, who knows? They're going to probably start trading some players there as you get to the deadline. But when you get to the back end of a long road trip, especially with two tough opponents to start, that could be sluggish for a team that's just trying to not only keep themselves in good stead and in good position there in the NL Central, but these first three games here against the Brewers are what they need to focus on, and it's going to be very important to see how this could be a catalyst for them to go through the rest of this week and into a weekend out in LA. So interesting time here for the Reds to see what they're going to do and hopefully get off to a good start on this road trip and continue this five-game winning streak to six and maybe even beyond. You had a big series down in Texas between the Dodgers and Rangers and the Dodgers taking two out of three. Maybe people would think that this could be a World Series preview. Obviously way too early to tell, but those two teams who are in first place in their respective divisions out West, but for the Dodgers who have had a great start to their post-All-Star break stretch, winning two out of three in New York against the Mets, winning two out of three in Baltimore, and again two out of three down in Texas before them going back home to their friendly confines. So give it up for the Dodgers coming out of the break with nine road games and winning each of those series. Great job by them. And it looks like they're going to put themselves in a spot to where they can maybe, not going to say go away with the division, but when we take a look at the Dodgers, they are currently at the top of the NL West. They have a five-game lead over the Diamondbacks who have hit the skids here. As I mentioned, losing in Cincinnati, getting swept, and now have lost four in a row. And then the Giants have also have hit the skids as well as they have lost five in a row, and they got swept by the Nationals. Granted, they were in the nation's capital, but to have that happen, and remember, they lost those back two games against the Reds in Cincinnati. So the Dodgers look like they could 
be ready to take off and put themselves in a spot where they could just cruise to a division title. So that's something we're going to have to keep an eye on, whether the Dodgers are going to now put themselves and think that all is right in the baseball world as the Diamondbacks were in first place for a lot of part of the spring and in the early part of the summer. And then the Giants had made their push and looked like they could have possibly been a threat to the Dodgers. But right now with the five-game lead that they have, it's really four, but five and a loss, both against Arizona and San Francisco as they have identical records, 54 and 46. The Dodgers are 57 and 41. So the Dodgers look like they're going to put themselves in good position to win the NL West. And we talked about the Brewers and Reds playing this week. The Brewers have a half-game lead over the Reds, so we'll monitor that come Thursday. National League East, nothing much to discuss there, although the Marlins finally snapped that long losing streak as they beat the Rockies in extra innings there yesterday. The Phillies, as we mentioned, they're going to play Baltimore, and that should be a very interesting series for them as they look to try to keep themselves in decent shape when it comes to the wild card. And then another big series that you had over the weekend, not to say that it lit the world on fire, to say the least, but the Minnesota Twins, talk about some distance. They actually swept the Chicago White Sox, no surprise there, but now put themselves with a three-game lead in the AL Central, two in the loss, but we all know that they're a three-game losing streak away from losing the first-place spot in the AL Central. So the Guardians, who are just trying to fight their way through this regular season, two games, or excuse me, a game under 549 and 50, That is a two-team race in that division because I do not expect the Tigers, even with them being six back in the loss, to be any kind of threat to both the Twins and Guardians. But the Twins, I'm not going to say they have some breathing room, but at least they could exhale for one day to know that they're in first place and let's see if they could do any type of damage or have any type of separation to put themselves some distance between them and Cleveland. And then we talked about the AL East, we know about Baltimore and Tampa. The Red Sox, Blue Jays, and Yankees all are in the mix there for the wild card. Although the bottom two teams, whether it's the Red Sox and Yankees, they're on the outside looking in. And as we take a look at the wild card deep into July, and I'll go American League down, the Blue Jays have the final wild card spot. And I'm just going to start there because the Red Sox, they are two games behind Toronto and the Yankees. Two games back as well because both the Red Sox and Yankees are at 53 and 47. Then you have the Angels who are four back. And let's see what's going to happen there. I know Otani hit a home run there yesterday as the Angels are now on the road. And they even made a story about, oh, Otani hit a home run in his last home game before the trade deadline. As if Otani's going to get traded by August 1st or even on August 1st, which I highly, sincerely doubt that. And then you have Seattle, four and a half back. You want to even throw Cleveland in there, five and a half. That's your AL wild card where you have Tampa with the top wild card spot, followed by Houston, who are a game behind, but two in the loss. And Tampa has a four and a half game lead over the Blue Jays as far as the top three wild cards in the American League. And in the National League, it is a logjam because you have the Reds, who are currently the top spot fourth place in the National League, but they only separated by a half game, both Arizona and San Francisco. And then after that, you have the Phillies and Marlins who are a half game behind them. So you have the five teams for three spots. I get it. We still have a couple more months and weeks to go here before the season concludes. But you have 
Think about it. Five teams separated by one game, and then you have the Cubs five and a half back, and I'm not even going to go there because it's pretty much Reds, Diamondbacks, Giants, Phillies, Marlins for the wild card spots there in the National League. And now we can start turning it up. We'll keep an eye on who's going to get traded here, the rumors. I mentioned Verlander earlier, which I think would be a great spot for Baltimore as they try to make the push. But I know the Giants, there have been some rumblings about whether or not they want to get Verlander over to San Francisco. And remember, the Mets and Giants have made trades in the past. Yes, we can talk about Darren Ruff, J.D. Davis. No, not that trade. Where Carlos Beltran, if you remember many moons ago, was traded to the Giants for Zach Wheeler. And Wheeler, who turned out to be a good Met, although was on the shelf for two years with Tommy John, and now he's in Philadelphia. Could the Mets pull off a trade like that where they send Verlander there, maybe get a pitcher back, a position player, a good high-ranking prospect in the giant minor league organization? That remains to be seen, and who knows if that's going to even happen. But this is what's going to be about over the next eight days. A lot of rumors, a lot of discussions, a lot of... Just trade talk here as teams try to jockey for position to get themselves in a spot to where they could either get one of those wild cards or win a division as we're still a couple of months away from the hunt for Red October. All right, now let me get my golf clubs. Let's break those out for the final golf major of the year as the Open Championship, which was in Hoylake, the northern part of the United Kingdom right there off the coast at the Royal Liverpool Golf Club. And if you were thinking that this was going to be a tournament, when you looked at the leaderboard on Friday, where you see names like Rory McIlroy, Cameron Young, John Rahm, Tommy Fleetwood, and then you had a guy named Christo Lomprecht, who was your leader there after the first round. But then you see a name that may not be familiar to a lot of Golf fans, or even just sports fans for that matter, but Brian Harmon, who had a tremendous Friday, had a four-stroke lead going into the weekend, and people were thinking, Brian Harmon, all right, let's see if this guy's going to stick around, if he's going to be a guy that will be at the top of the leaderboard come Sunday amongst the likes of those aforementioned golfers. And as it was, he left everybody in the dust. It was no ifs, ands, buts, maybes about it, no doubter. Whatever you want to call, because Brian Harmon, although he did have a couple of spotty moments there on Saturday and Sunday with some bogeys, but he was never in danger. There was never a threat. There was never even a doubt on whether or not Harmon was going to spit up this lead en route to winning his first ever major golf tournament. And kudos to him. 36 years of age. I believe he's, what, the third oldest player to win a major with Sergio Garcia when he won the Masters. And then, of course, you have a guy like Phil Mickelson, who did win the PGA a couple of years back at the age of 51. But for Harmon, what more can you say about a guy who was playing from in front the whole weekend, didn't have to look over his shoulder, wasn't gripping the golf clubs extra tight, or his putter was failing him, or his approach shots, or off the tee, didn't matter. He was a guy that was cool, calm, collected, even in the rain yesterday, which I know didn't make for a pleasant watch there on TV. But for Harmon and this tournament, again, there isn't much more to write home about unless you are Harmon for him to just sail off and put everybody in the dust to where the likes of John Rahm and Tommy Fleetwood and even Rory McIlroy, who I'll get to in a second, did not even pose a threat over the weekend, or didn't even come close 
to Harmon as he was untouchable. And that encapsulates not only just one round, but pretty much the whole weekend overall. Other than Thursday, of course. When you have a sizable lead like that, it could go one of two ways. It could go the way of, because you have this big lead, and a guy who, obviously, this is uncharted territory for him, to where he could play a little tight, and especially yesterday in the elements, whether it's the wind, the rain, just the greens, everything, that it could mess with him psychologically, even mentally, to the point where you could start seeing some things slip through the cracks, and then you have other guys who have no pressure on them, knowing that Harmon has this sizable lead, and therefore, if Harmon is starting to bogey here, bogey there, and again, like I mentioned, both yesterday and Saturday did have slow starts to his game, but really didn't show any warts or didn't have the nerves that a lot of people thought may have come with a guy who's never won a major, and kudos to him. Those guys were no match for Brian Harmon, who goes away with the Claret Jug and is your 2023 Open Champion. That is all I got to say about it. I mean, what more can I add to when a guy has been in the lead for three straight rounds and not once did it look like he was going to give it up or look like there was going to be a guy that was nipping on his heels? You did not see that throughout the course of the weekend. So therefore, there isn't anything more to divulge or really even get into when it comes to that. Now, yes, we could talk about some of the golfers, whether it's John Rahm, who has had a great start to his year, but recently has not played well. And although he did hang in there, and even Tommy Fleetwood, he's a guy that always seems to be the bridesmaid, never the bride, as I've been mentioning here over the last few weeks when it comes to golf and tennis with some of these players not getting that major that they have sought after for God knows how long. Or even a guy like Rory McIlroy. And let's get to it. When you're nine strokes behind going into the final round, you need a miracle. And McIlroy, who was within striking distance throughout the weekend, even though Harmon did have that big lead. But it's another year where Rory, who won his last major on that golf course nine years ago, and knowing how he has been arguably the face and voice of the PGA, and we've talked about this for the last couple of months, whether it was his displeasure for the Live Golf League, and then on top of that, when they merged, and how he still didn't agree with it, and even felt that he was supportive of the commissioner, Jay Monahan, where maybe a lot of people thought he was betrayed a little bit, as they found out pretty much at the 11th hour that this was going to take place there a couple of months back. But McElroy, he's going to have to answer to this, and he can win the Scottish Opens and all these other tournaments that he wants, which yes, looks good on the resume, but we all know it's about the majors. And here was another one, not to say that they played poorly, he did not play well yesterday as his putter, no shock there, failed him, and a couple of approach shots obviously didn't go his way, but that's one of the things when you're that big of a stature in the sport and you're not winning, and yes, we know he's a great guy and great reputation across the board, nobody's disputing that, but you do have to back it up with some major wins. That does go a long way as far as being that poster boy of the tour. And we haven't seen that from McElroy now going on a decade. And I got nothing against the guy. I'm not trying to come across as a McElroy hater or non-supporter. That is not the case. I got nothing against him. We know he's a brilliant player. But right, when it comes to performing on this 
stage at these major tournaments and for him not delivering, it does make you question whether or not that does he have another good four rounds in him to finally overcome and get over the hump to get another major win tournament in his back pocket. And that's the question. That's what it boils down to, people. Because golfers could go through long droughts. They could go through stretches where they don't win one. And that's fine. And look at Ricky Fowler. He's a guy that's never won a major tournament. And even when he was close at the U.S. Open and a lot of people thought, oh, this could be his time and it wasn't, of course, he's going to have that hanging over his head. And it may be unfair to judge McElroy in that light considering he does have four majors under his belt. But because it's been such a long time between cocktails and him not having the fruits of his labor with the trophy raised well above his head for now going on 10 years, not to say that there's no credibility or that he's going to get knocked as a player or anything like that, but you do have to say as a sports fan witnessing from afar that when is that time going to come? And what is really between his ears and maybe to a certain extent in his gut that has slowed him down or even stopped him from getting that extra gear to get to that level to where he could become a major golf champion again. That's what I'm evaluating here when it comes to McElroy. Nothing more, nothing less. I mean, he could cure cancer for all I care. And if he does, God bless him. But we're just talking about him on this stage when it comes to major tournaments. And for whatever the reason, he's just not delivered. And that's my assessment when it comes to him. And I get it. Whether fairly or unfairly, he's going to be the guy that everybody's going to have the spotlight on, just like I mentioned there on Thursday's podcast. And that's what you have with the golf. And I know you have a Ryder Cup there later on in the year, and there's going to be some attention toward that as they have the Ryder Cup every other year. The U.S. won the last time, a couple years back, if you recall. The whole hug fest between Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau in the press conference there with Justin Thomas trying to put a truce between the two of them. And who knows you're going to have that this time around as the tournament will be over in Rome, as the Europeans will now have the quote-unquote home court advantage. But other than that, that's your golf season, people. And we won't hear a peep until we get to the Ryder Cup there. And besides that, all of the majors are now in the books for 2023. Now as I lace up my cleats, put on the helmet and shoulder pads to go through some NFL news and notes, and just a couple really, as training camps will open up throughout the country full with everyone, rookies, veterans, you name it, come tomorrow. But the one big story that has come about over the last few days is the running back position and how the running backs had this conference through Zoom, whether your name was Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, and Barkley had that podcast that he was on a couple of weeks back where he was talking about his stance as far as his contract and where he stands with the organization saying that maybe I should come out with the two middle fingers proverbially to tell the organization, no, I'm going to sit tight. I want to get paid. I'm an important part of this team, cog in the offense, etc. And he's right about that, 100%. And as we've seen here over the years, the running back position does not carry the same weight as a lot of the other key positions on the field. Of course, they're never going to be the quarterback. They're not going to be the left tackle. They're not going to be the pass rusher nor the cornerback. But you would think that the running game is vital, is key to an offense 
as far as being a successful one when it comes to the NFL. And yes, these players have every right to convene, to have a meeting of the minds, to discuss why we're not only undervalued, but also underpaid in the process. And the Zoom call, which was organized by Austin Eckler, the Chargers, to have the Derrick Henrys of the world, Christian McCaffrey's, Josh Jacobs, the top running backs in the sport, all come together to have this discussion to say, hey, what are we going to do about this? We must unite. We must stand tall. We must get what we deserve. We shouldn't be the type of player knowing that we're only getting the short end of the stick when it comes to these long-term contracts because forget about the quarterback, the offensive lineman, or even the pass rusher. We know they're going to get the big bucks. But we've seen wide receivers get paid handsomely over the years, and I'm sure they want to be at least compared to them when it comes to the skill position as far as them getting paid. But the two reasons why that at least in this day and age, why we will probably unlikely see that. One is because the wear and tear on the body of the running back. Not every running back can be Barry Sanders where you're going to be elusive and you're going to juke everybody off the field to where you're going to be, for the most part, untouched. A lot of these running backs that we've talked about, whether you're Derrick Henry, who is a north-south runner and is going to take a lot of punishment. Same for a guy like Nick Chubb. Saquon, who's a little bit elusive, but as we all know, he's going to take his hits and he's going to try to hurdle over a lot of his defenders as we've seen in the past. And those type of running backs that aren't going to be missed guys, like I said, in the open field, they're going to take a lot of punishment, a lot of hits. So therefore, even if they get anywhere between 260 to 300 carries a year, that's still a lot. The days of the 400 carry a year running back are long gone. And when we think about offenses and the way they're designed in the NFL in this day and age, the running back is only crucial when you have a close score in the fourth quarter where you need to move the chains. And usually that goes to a guy that's going to be the big bruising fullback or running back that's going to eat up clock, that's going to try to run over a worn down and tired defense that the advantage to the running back and to the offense, that's where it's going to be brought to light not in the first quarter not in the second quarter or even the third quarter but a guy that when it's seven minutes to go and the score is 24 21 and even though in the passing league that we live in you're going to want to keep the defense honest and you're going to want to at least burn some clock on first and second down to kind of get a short down yarded situation on third and whatever third and three third and four that's when the running back is going to come into play here But as we know, the wear and tear of the running back over the course of two, three, four, five years, by the time you get to your mid to late 20s, there's no way that that big time payday is going to be there. And then the other thing is, and even more importantly, I feel that is key reason number two. Think about the teams that have won the Super Bowl recently. The New England Patriots, when they beat the Rams back in 2018. Of course, the Chiefs, who have won two Super Bowls here over the last, what, four or five years? Four years, I believe, off the top of my head. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers under Tom Brady there in his first year. And then you have the LA Rams, who won under Matthew Stafford. Name me the stud running back on any of those teams. I'm waiting. Still waiting. And no, don't give me Leonard Fournette when he was on Tampa. No, don't give me Sony Michelle, who was on the Patriot team that beat the Rams 13-3 back, what, five years ago. 
This is my point. You don't have a big-time running back on any of these teams. What, Cam Akers on the Ram team there? And I don't believe he was on the team at that time. I believe he was hurt. The Daryl Hendersons of the world. Those aren't big-time running backs. And Kansas City doesn't have a big-time running back either. What, Damian Williams, who got the couple touchdowns there late in that Super Bowl against the San Francisco 49ers? Those aren't guys that are stud top five running backs in the sport that are going to get paid handsomely, or you would think that would be paid somewhere in the vicinity of $15, $20 million a year, similar to the wide receiver and even more than that. So that's the reason why that the running back, although they have been undervalued and certainly have been, I'm not going to say forgotten, but for the most part, an afterthought. But when you're in a passing league and when the running back isn't your key central figure in your offense, of course, they're not going to get paid amongst the likes of running backs or even offensive tackles or quarterbacks. Nowhere even near that stratosphere. So this is the problem that you have with the running backs. Is it right? It is not. But sadly, this is the way of the world in the NFL in 2023 or even 2022, 2021, 2020, and so on. The focus on that position isn't as important as it once was, say, the days of Earl Campbell, Tony Dorsett, Franco Harris, Emmett Smith, Barry Sanders, Thurman Thomas. I can go on down the line. Those days are long gone. And yes, is it nice to have that running back on your team to move the change or to have that all-pro like Derrick Henry? 100%. But as far as the longevity and even the sustainability, to have a guy like that year in, year out, carry the mail the way he does and to stay healthy and to stay fresh and to just not go down with injury is next to impossible. So that's why the running back position, unfortunately, is not what it once was and therefore it's not going to be paid the way maybe it once was back many years ago or even close to the salaries that the other key positions make it's just a sad honest truth it's as simple as that and now we don't have to worry about Daniel Snyder owning an NFL team anymore as that sale of the commanders went through on Thursday 6.05 billion dollars led by the Josh Harris Group, he, Magic Johnson, of course, and a few other people, now will own the Washington Commanders. Let's see what's going to happen there as far as them getting a new stadium built, whether that means they come back on the other side of the district, because as we all know, they play in Maryland, the Commanders, as of right this moment, FedEx Field. I would think that Josh Harris, the owner who does have ties with DC, I'm sure he'd want to maybe build a stadium. I don't know if it's going to be on the old RFK site. You would think that that would be the best place to put it. And why not almost have a, I'm not going to say an RFK 2.0 because that stadium is a relic. There's no way that they could even try to replicate that. Although it would be nice if they did, but of course make it state of the art. But now with Daniel Snyder and nobody's going to shed a tear and nobody has to the tune of him getting that $6.05 billion fortune where now he could just go away and lay out in a beach somewhere in the Riviera and just count his billions and just go quietly off into the sunset. But let's see if this organization, we understand they're not the Redskins, but if they could resurrect any of their past and have themselves get on a trajectory to where they can become respectable, 
They could become a team that could be entrenched in that NFC East with the Cowboys and the Eagles and the Giants. And we understand that they are historically, but throughout the Daniel Snyder tenure, and although they've had their moments here and there, making it to the postseason, and just recently with that 7-8-1 team a couple of years back under Taylor Heineke, but I'm sure they're going to want to make sure that they could have their new regime, their new branding, just everything washed away with the old and bring in nothing but new, fresh ideas. And hopefully the culture will just be that much more better to the tune when we get to the deeper part of this decade, to the latter part of the 2020s, that maybe somehow, some way, they could gain that respectability back, they could build that organization and get to a point that, who knows, could they even contend? That is a big giant question mark, but now with the new ownership in tow, let's see if the commanders could rebuild and rebrand an organization that was once proud and certainly has a lot of great memories in its long tenured franchise, but now as they are the commanders and now with the new group, let's see if they could forge a new one and obviously that remains to be seen. And then lastly... As I tune to soccer, who is this? Jay Reels? Wait a minute. Soccer for the third straight podcast? Well, who knows how long this is going to last, but we had the Lionel Messi debut there in South Florida Friday night. And what we saw there was as storybook as you could possibly ever imagine as he debuted with a winning goal in the extra frame or stoppage time, as they call it. In the 94th minute, he had a free kick that went to the top left corner of the goal as they beat Cruz Azul 2-1. to one. And did it reverberate throughout the sports world? Now we had LeBron James there. As well as Serena Williams. And even Kim Kardashian showed up for whatever the reason. But you had megastars there throughout. And they witnessed it live and in living color. And based on what I saw on social media. Yes, you had some people mention some things. And you also had a lot of tweets there. From luminaries and other sports personalities that... Just honored the legend that Messi is. But here it is a couple of days after. And I understand it's not as if this story is going to carry us through the weekend and into this part of the week, etc. But if you go on a lot of the sports pages, wherever you get your sports, ESPN, CBS Sports, Bleacher Report, etc. Not to say that it's forgotten, but they're already on to the other leagues. If not, they're on to the U.S. Women's World Cup. So we get it, Into Miami is not a powerhouse when it comes to the MLS, but I was doing some research just to get an idea to bounce around different websites, and a lot of the stuff are leagues that are overseas. The MLS is a not even a blip on anybody's soccer radar. And yes, that's not a disrespect or a knock towards Lionel Messi or Into Miami, etc., but they're just not a part of the sports stratosphere right now. And that's all there is to it. We know Messi is an immortal. And yes, that was a great story. But now it's on to the other leagues that are taking place overseas. Or Mbappe, who is about to get paid $335 million from a Saudi league. If you can imagine that. So that's more of a story than what Messi did in, I hate to say it, a meaningless MLS game. That yes, it was a game winner. Yes, it was thrilling. Yes, it was storybook. You couldn't have written up any better. But now it's like on to the next thing and it has nothing to do with the MLS or Inter Miami or Lionel Messi. So 
the impact that this is going to make, whether in the short term or the long term, as I mentioned there on Thursday's podcast, who knows if this is going to have any legs. And yes, for one night or maybe for 24 hours it did, but now it's back to business. What's going on in certain leagues overseas or certain cups or World Cups, etc.? MLS, nobody cares. And who knows if Inter Miami is going to get into a playoff or a championship round or a championship game. I guess if they got deep into a postseason, and that's not going to be until October, I believe, to where if Messi's a part of that, then maybe that'll gain some traction. But as of July 24th, yes, nice story, very good story. But now it's on to bigger and better. And I don't know if this is going to have any length or, as I mentioned, any legs for this to really go on throughout the course of the summer, even into the early fall, on whether or not Messi Mania is going to not only just take over the MLS, but even the American sports fans' consciousness. Because, as of right the second, it was fleeting, and it certainly looks like it is not. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books. As always, as I close out with some housekeeping, thank you so much for stopping by, as always, for your participation and listening to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the wonderful world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review, tag me on social media, take a screenshot, send it to your friends, family, the sports fan in your life. I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And if you want to hit me up on any of my socials via DM or check out Videos that I post daily, you can go to my YouTube page, at JReels, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the JReels Podcast, Twitter, JReels1, just a number, and if you want to hit me up the old-fashioned way, you could do so by going to the JReels Podcast at gmail.com, whatever questions, comments, suggestions that you might have, send them my way, I'll be more than happy to follow up, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people, it's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I like to say, sports is what I've been talking about since birth. With nothing but passion, fire, fury, energy on a week-in, week-out basis. And oh, one last thing, people. Remember, at the very top, I talked about having three podcasts this week. So yes, I'll be back on Thursday to recap what's going on here in the early part of the week. You also have Mets Yankees here for what that's worth Tuesday and Wednesday as I didn't really delve into the early part of the MLB schedule this week. But I have another podcast come Wednesday with a guest from the Sporting News. Remember that publication, people? A senior social producer, Erica Fernandez, as she talks about her journey, not only throughout the journalism aspect, but we'll talk a little sports. We'll also talk about what it is like to be in that realm as a woman and as a Latina, being in the locker room, being in the press box with her contemporaries. That, of course, is male-dominated. So a very revealing and interesting interview that I'll have come Wednesday, so you definitely do not want to miss that. And as I mentioned... Passion, fire, fury, energy. With my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critique, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South East to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the foot, baby.